as we continue our time of worship, I, uh, I wanted to have you turn to Proverbs chapter 3. I know we're going through Ecclesiastes, but Matt and I discussed it, and this is a, an appropriate passage. But I wanted to draw attention while you're turning this idea that I say when I say on Sundays as we continue our time of worship through the preaching of the Word. I want you to understand that worship is more than just the songs that we sing to lighten our heart and our load, but it is the Word and profession that we make when we proclaim. And it is a deep and rich and theological position that has sustained us since the 1500s. That is a long time. But there is current research being done that says that that even predates there. They're anchoring it to Acts. They're anchoring it to Moses. That worship is a part. And so when we talk about the Word of God, we are proclaiming through worship God's Word back to Him. And I tell my students all the time, when you don't know what to pray, pray Scripture. So let us look at Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Let us be our prayer this morning as we continue our time of worship. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. And all her paths are peace. Her ways are pleasant ways. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. Let us pray. God, as we come before you and as we continue this time of worship, as we exalt your word, proclaim your message to your people, let us know that ultimate wisdom lies in your word. Let us attain and aspire and grasp at that, that we may find joy in your presence, find joy in knowing the divine. And we thank you that you came and you died on that cross so that we could boldly enter the throne room of grace and cry out, Abba, Father. It is in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bruce. Again, uh, this morning, I would encourage our students, K-5th through fifth grade, to head over there with Miss Denise. As you guys are leaving this place, I'm going to ask the rest of you who are staying to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 today. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, as I was looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 7, a couple things came to my mind because I didn't know exactly how to break this one down. I didn't know how to approach it because if you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7, I don't know how many of you guys read the passage prior to us meeting together, but if you read Ecclesiastes chapter 7, it looks more like the book of Proverbs than it does like the book of Ecclesiastes. And what it is, is really a list of answers that comes from the very last question 
that was found in Ecclesiastes 6, 12. Here's what it says. For those who know what is good for anyone in life, in the few days of his futile life that he spends like a shadow, who can tell anyone what will happen to him after under the sun? Our answer to these questions that we wrapped up last week with came from two different perspectives. One was under the sun, excuse me, and one was under heaven. And then under the sun, nobody knows what's going to happen next. But under heaven, include God in the big picture, we have to understand that God knows. And we can rely on God and we can rely on His wisdom for some of these answers in our own hearts. And that is what leads to chapter 7 where we have a transition of these ecclesiastical proverbs that really talk about the importance of wisdom in our lives. The importance of wisdom in life, which is actually kind of a funny approach because if you were with us up front, if you were with us and saw the, the things that, um, that we kind of laid out for Ecclesiastes in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, he talks a lot about wisdom, but he doesn't talk about it positively. As a matter of fact, the last verse of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 18 says... For with much wisdom is much sorrow, and knowledge, as knowledge increases, grief increases. So picking up with that today, we have this transition that takes place in his approach to wisdom. And here is what we get. Basically, while wisdom doesn't hold all of the answers what Solomon's going to tell us, it gives us plenty in order to live the life that God has called us to. It gives us plenty to live to. So why does he say this? Well, if you look over what we've seen in the book so far, in the first six chapters, there's really three main conclusions that I kind of came up with, and then there's probably plenty more than that, but three that we've really kind of focused on. The first one was verse one of chapter one. The conclusion that he gives you right up front is that everything under the sun is meaningless. Everything under the sun is meaningless. The second thing is that everything under the sun is temporary. It's temporary and not worth investing our entire selfish lives into because it could be gone in an instant. I mean, when you really stop and think about it, where do you invest your life? That's a question that has come up in my mind over and over again as we've gone through Ecclesiastes. The third thing is this, is we're not in control. Those are words I don't want to say out loud because I don't want to believe them. I like to have the illusion of control. But every day of my life, I realize that I have no control. And I'm pretty sure that you are the same with that because control of anything in this world is evasive and elusive. We can't control injustice. We can't control oppression. We can't control hurt. We can't control pain. And even as we see today, you can't control death. No matter how hard we try, it is ultimately not in our hands. So with those summaries nailed down in those first real six chapters, the question is, is how do you live in response? How does your life look different in response? And we have two options. We only have two. One is escapism. Two is wisdom. Escapism means basically this. I'm going to avoid all the things that may be real in life by drowning myself in my own world and my own worldview. I'm, I'm going to, to see life the way I want to. Wisdom says this. Live in this world. In the midst of all the brokenness with the wisdom of God and the power of God inside you. Meet the junk of this world head on and respond by doing all you can with what you can while you can. Those are two choices that we have. Let me give you an example. 
as this played itself out for me on Friday. Friday was a long day for me. Friday, uh, Glory decided that four o'clock was her wake up time. And Christy wasn't feeling great that day, so I got up with Glory, and, and uh, she likes to, to get going at 4 o'clock, but then she likes to go back to sleep at like 7. The problem is everybody else gets up at 7, so you don't get to go back to sleep with her. And so it was a long day starting with that, and by the time 9 o'clock rolled around on Friday night, I was done. Now, this may make me sound old, but I started putting on my pajamas at 9 o'clock on a Friday night. I was all ready. I got in, had the slippers on, kind of kicked back in the recliner, kind of doing shutdown mode, and my doorbell rings. And I'm like, eh, it is late for Amazon to be dropping something off. I'm like, oh, Peyton isn't here. He went to the youth game night. Maybe he forgot the garage door opener. Maybe he's coming in the front door. And I peek out front as my 89-year-old neighbor. And he's like, Matt, I, I just don't feel good. Something's wrong. Can you take me to the ER? And everything inside of me wanted to go, they have 911 for that. <laughs> but I tried to be that guy that was like, hang on just a second. Went back in. I got dressed. I went out. I said, hey, let's go. So I took him over to Rust. So I drive over to Rust. And, and the, the thing is, is, I've told you about Doug before. Um, I've taken him to the ER before. Um, he likes to ask lots of questions and he likes to talk and he likes to tell lots of stories. So we had lots of t questions, lots of talking. And of course, when we show up to the ER, guess what? It is full. It is full of people. So we're sitting there and we are talking and we get to the conversation about, hey, what brought you to New Mexico? What do you do at the church? What, what kind of role do you have? What's your church like? These kind of questions began to come. He grew up Catholic, had gone away from the the, the Catholic faith and, and uh, really just kind of the good person mentality. So he had lots of questions for me. And, and it was good. It was an opportunity for me to be able to share with him why I am, who I am, what God has done in my life. But while we were sharing, that, like I said, ER room was full. And this 20-year-old girl walks over, grabs a chair, slides it up right in front of me and says, I heard from across the room that you're a pastor and I'm struggling. And I said, well, we got time, so let's make it happen. So she begins to tell me about her life story, about how she was uh, at age 10, 11, 12, she was smoking weed and getting high and partying and doing all these kind of things like this. But by the time she was 15, she was at a party and got shot at a drive-by. And it got shot in the head and shot in both legs. And somehow, miraculously, she survived. And she met Jesus, but she doesn't know why God saved her, both physically or spiritually. And so we get into this conversation, and we're taking this conversation, and, and the great thing is, is I, I get to share my testimony with her, and Doug is sitting right here next to me, just leaning in, listening intently. He's not, he's not knowing that I'm also sharing with him at the same time. And I said, you know, there's things in life that happen. There is suffering. Even during that God is so good song, even though God might bring suffering, I'm going to put my faith and I'm going to put my trust in Him that He knows what's going on. So I'm sharing this with her. And as I'm sharing this with her, I realize the entire ER is quiet. It wasn't quiet. <laughs> it wasn't quiet at all. And the place is full. And all of a sudden, this guy from across the room, he chimes in from this universalist, God is divine. I am divine. All things are divine. God is in all things. The truth is, 
out there. We just can't find it, this whole thing. And I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> Apparently, God had a bigger plan for me to go to the ER than just to take Doug and sit there for three hours. Or six hours, actually, is what it turned out to be. So I, I, I begin to sit there, and, I, and I'm talking to this guy, and I'm listening to him talk. And I'm listening to him kind of go on, and he's talking about all the different things about the man, Jesus, and all the things that are God. And he has all of these questions for me, yet he won't listen to my answers. He's saying, hey, what about life? What about sin? What about the Bible? What about light? What about darkness? What about goodness? What is truth? What is evil? These are all the things that that he's throwing out there. And he rambled on for quite some time. And I'll I'll be honest with you, I'm glad I was in the ER because my blood pressure began to rise. (laughs) Because I, I felt as if I was being attacked in some way. And so I finally just said, hey, stop for just a second. I want you to answer this question for me. I said, what is the foundation that you base all of your beliefs on? And you know what his answer was? It's the same thing that anybody who doesn't have an answer to that question would do. You answer a question with a question. He said, well, what's your foundation? I said, well, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> and again, the ER is quiet. Everybody's listening. So I quote you in John 1.1. 1, 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life and that life was the light of men. I said, that answers all the questions you've had up front. I said, oh, by the way, verse 14 says, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory of the one from the one and only father, full of grace and truth. I said, that is where my foundation is at, and I will bet my eternity on it. I said, now what's yours? And he's quiet. He goes, the thing. And I went, what? (laughs) What do you mean the thing? He goes, the thing. I said, what are you talking about? Because the thing is my foundation. And I said, well, you're going to have to go help me out with that. I said, what is the thing? He goes, well, it's my foundation. I said, so, oh, so we're doing this circular logical thing. The thing's my foundation. My foundation's a thing. I said, so you're not answering my question. I said, we're not going anywhere. And he's, he got a little bit frustrated. And as he got frustrated, he started to say, well, we're obviously not going anywhere in our discussion here. So I'm going to go ahead and shut down. I said, the reason why we're not going anywhere is because you're not leading anywhere. I said, if you gave me a foundation, why you believe what you believe, an actual basis for your argument I said, I'd be happy to continue this discussion because I got time and I got a captive audience. <laughs> and, and the truth was, is that he didn't know. He was drowning himself in that avoidance of this is what life is actually all about. I'm drowning myself in, in what? The made up self-medicating responses. As Solomon would say, things like his own wisdom, his own wealth, his own accomplishments, his own whatever to escape and avoid the truth of the meaningless of this life under the sun. That's part one. The avoidance part. If I drown myself in any of those things, I won't pay attention to the meaninglessness of it all. But then, there's that wisdom of God. 
If you bask in the wisdom of God, we can rely on it and use it to guide us through this life under the sun for the glory of God until we get to worship in the actual presence of God. What an amazing time that's going to be. And even though wisdom can't explain all of life's mysteries, it sure can help make some sense of other things. It can interject some positive contributions into our lives. As a matter of fact, in Ecclesiastes 7, I believe he gives us three. Three positive contributions. The first positive contribution of wisdom is this, these first ten verses. It says, wisdom makes life better. And you'll see that word better throughout this chapter because he is focusing on what is better. The thing is, if you take a worldly perspective, it's not going to sound better. If you take a godly wisdom perspective, you'll understand why it is better. Let's start in verse 1, and it says these words, How does wisdom make life better? Well, a good name is better than fine perfume. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, since that is the end of all mankind, and the living should take it to heart. Grief is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. The heart of the wise is in a house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in a house of pleasure. These first four verses, really wisdom, shows us that, one, that grief is better than laughter. Grief is better than laughter. Now, I'm not sure about you, but most people would rather go to a birthday party than to a funeral. But Solomon says, think differently. Think differently. Why? Because, is it because Solomon's some weird goth kid that's into depression? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, if you read Proverbs, he talks a lot about laughter and a lot about joy and the goodness of it. But he's saying, in our life, there must be a balance. In our culture, you know what we do? We hide the reality of death. We hide the reality of death. We, we try to escape it. We try to avoid it. People don't like to talk about it. People don't like to even feel it. What we want is we want to just go quietly into that long good night. That, that is our desire to make me comfortable, make me quiet, put me into a hospital room or a hospice facility, load me up with morphine and let me fade away. That, that is our response. But the truth about death is this. Death is an evangelist. There's a reason why everybody in that ER was quiet and listening. Because they were facing, whether it was just a minor sickness or whatever it might be, they were facing their own mortality. Because hospitals, I don't like them. I don't know about you. There used to be a joke when, when I was at First Baptist Rio Rancho and we had, I was on hospital visits today. They didn't want me to come visit. You know why? Because one way or another, if I went and visited somebody, they got out of the hospital that day. Either they got up and walked out or they were rolled out. Every time. So people were a little bit nervous when I walk into the room. Which makes sense. And you begin to look at that and you say, we don't really want to face death, but death is an evangelist. Death will look you right in the eye and he will say this to you. There will be a day that we are going to meet. There will be a day that we are going to meet and that conversation should affect how we live today. It should affect how we live today. I mean, think about this. If you've ever been to a funeral, you have one of two thoughts that go through your mind. First thought is, is how long is this going to be? Because I'm getting hungry. Because they always do it at 11 o'clock. And you're like, okay, I, I, let's see. They do a meal after this. That's the thought. Or the other thought is, what if that were me? What if I were in that coffin? 
What if I were in that urn? What if it were me? See, death brings a clarity to life. And we can meet it with wisdom, or we can try to avoid the question at all costs. As a matter of fact, I did a funeral recently, and I asked this question. How do you live your dash? See, our life is summed up on our tombstone by a little tiny dash between your birth date and your death date. How you live in that dash. How are we living that dash? As a matter of fact, that's verse 1. As it talks about this good name. Did I leave a legacy when people hear my name that they think positively of me? Or did I leave a negative oppression on people for the rest of their lives? Remember last week we talked about that name as the beginning point of something? So the beginning point of a good name takes us right down to our very character. But then Solomon says, you either have a good name that's better than that fine perfume. Well, why does he mention that fine perfume? It's because of this. A perfume masks what's actually underneath. A perfume will mask a stench that might be there. And he goes on from there to say these words. The day of one's death is better than the day of his birth. Please be aware that he's not saying one is bad and the other is good. What he is saying is this. The birth of a child, it brings hope. It brings dreams. It brings prayers for a bright future. It brings potential. But death, death is the fulfillment of all of those hopes and dreams and prayers and potential. Because we can have all the hopes and dreams. I, when I was a kid, I hoped to be a baseball player. I hoped to be a basketball player. I hoped all sorts of things. And I had some potential. But what did I do with that potential? That's what matters. That's what matters in our life. You have been given potential. Death is a fulfillment of that. Because there's no more opportunity to fulfill that potential. It's done. It's done. And that's what he's trying to say here. The fulfillment of our life is death. And fulfillment is better than potential. So that leads us to a question. What did you do with the potential that God gave you? How did you live the dash? And that question that comes to our mind leads into verse 2 when it says, it is better to go into a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. Since that is the end of all mankind. That is the fulfillment. And the living should take it to heart. That fulfillment we should watch and see and say, "Mm, how am I living my dash? Psalm 90, 12 actually says it this way. Teach me to number my days carefully so I can develop wisdom in my heart. That wisdom thing. Verse 3 says, Grief is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is the house of pleasure. It goes back to that idea of avoidance. It goes back to that idea of avoidance because there's a book that came out a while back. It was a Pulitzer Prize winning book. It was called The Denial of Death. In it, the author said these words, the idea of death, the fear of it, haunts the human animal, which I thought that was interesting, like nothing else. It is the mainspring of human activity, activity designed largely to avoid the fatality of death and the final destiny of man. Can I ask you a question? Why do you think people party and get drunk and get high in this life? What is it they're trying to bury? That is Solomon's question. That is what it all comes down to in this under the sun description that he's talking about. It's all meaningless. It's all meaningless. And we see it 
that in that life, how do we fulfill it when we die? Verses 5 and 6 take us to that next thing of that the wisdom makes life better. Takes us from grief is better than laughter to rebuke is better than praise. Listen to what it says. It's better to listen to rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the songs of fools. For it's like the crackling of burning thorns under the pot. Now that's an interesting statement right there because he's basically saying there's a lot of noise without any substance. It reminds me of my ER visit. A lot of noise without any substance. It also reminds me of any time I watch politicians. A lot of noise, no substance. So is the laughter of a fool, he says. But yet we sit and we listen to it. Because we want to hear certain things. He says, that too is futile. I don't have to spend a lot of time on this one because I think we already know that constructive criticism is all right. The problem is we know it, we just don't want to apply it. We don't want to apply it because it's so much easier to have a bunch of yes men who flatter us and tell us good things about ourselves that we would rather bask in that than the wisdom of this is what we need to do to change to become more like God. This is what we need to do to change our lives so we can be more like Him and live it out in such a way. See, empty flattery makes us feel better, but it doesn't do anything else than that. It's just the crackling of those burning thorns under a pot. The thing is, is that as I even read this, it also goes for pastors that we listen to at churches. If I ever get to the place where I'm just trying to tickle your ears and I'm just that crackling pot, get me out of this place and replace me with somebody who's going to speak the truth into you because that is what needs to happen. Listen to the wisdom and be okay with rebuke. Be okay with that constructive criticism. Then seven through nine actually takes it a step further. It's not just about about the wisdom because the foolish men are going to encourage you to to take the shortcut. What he says here is take the long road because the long road is better than the shortcut. Take the long road. Listen to what it says in verse seven. Surely the practice of extortion turns a wise person into a fool and a bribe corrupts the mind. The end of the matter is better than the beginning. A patient spirit is better than the proud spirit. Don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for anger abides in the heart of fools. You want to get things done quickly? Verse 7 says, grease the palms. Grease the palms. Grease those wheels. Get it turning. Have a little bit of money under the table. A little bribery goes a long way. However, the Bible says also that it turns a wise man into a fool and only encourages more corruption. Take the long road take the high road. Don't take the shortcut. Verse 8 says, be patient. See a project through. That's better than the person who rushes and never gets finished, isn't it? Develop the project. Grow the project. Care about the project. Give the time it needs for it to succeed. I've never wanted to call a person a project, but that sure does sound like discipleship to me. Investing in a person. Grow the person. Care about the person. Give it the time it needs to succeed. Verse 9 goes on. And I'll tell you, verse 8 said, be patient. Can I ask you a question? Have, have you ever prayed for patience before? Have you ever, have you ever made that mistake? Okay. Uh, praying for patience always gets you frustrated. Because God is going to answer that prayer. It's a prayer that I think He answers all the time. Every time. We, we will get frustrated. We will get to that place where we are, are struggling. But the end, it says, don't get angry. Why does it say don't get angry? Well, go back to verse number one when it talks about the name that you have. What do you want your name and your character associated with? 
What do you want people to know you by? Is it rush? Is it incompetence? Is it incompletion? Is it, is it poor work ethic? Is that the name you want to have because you just want to get things done? Or are you going to be patient? And that leads us to our last little nugget of wisdom. It falls under this wisdom makes life better. It says this in verse 10. Don't say, why were the former days better than these? Since it is not wise of you to ask this. The, the wisdom nugget here to help us see is that today is better than yesterday. Today is better than yesterday. Now this is anti-political. I could do an entire message on this one here by itself, but I shall not. I shall refrain. I don't get into politics much. But this very verse goes against the two statements that ran both political parties last 2020. And it'll probably be the same thing we see again here and now in 2024. Make America great again and build back better. Both of those say, man, we got to go back to the old days. We got to go back to the way that it was. How many times have we said that in agreement with those political statements? I wish we'd go back to the old days. There was actually a man on the street interview during the 2020 election for both of those statements. And the guy asked, he said, now, where would you go back to? What would we build back better to? What would we have to do? What period would we go to to make America great again? And everything that they said, he would have a negative in that same time period. Because we have a tendency when we reminisce to only think about the good things and not the bad things. And he said these words. He's like, you know, we have to understand. We have to take the bad with us. We can't just focus on the good. There's, there's got to be that balance that are there. And again, I could, I could go on and on about this verse alone. But the flat truth is, is this. When we say, I wish it were this way and not like it is anymore, we're saying to ourselves, whether we know it or not, God's no longer in control. He was then, but he isn't now. We're, we're laying it out. We're saying, you know, God used to be, but he left us. Do you think that God's still in control? See, Solomon says wisdom would say otherwise to that idea that he used to be, but he still is. It's not wise to forget about God. It's not wise to forget that he has a plan. It's not wise to forget that we have a responsibility within that plan, so we live for today. We don't have to focus on tomorrow. You know the reason why the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror? Because we're supposed to be looking ahead, not always behind. That then leads us these first 10 verses to say godly wisdom can make life better. But the next positive contribution is found in 11 through 18. Our second contribution is wisdom helps us see life clearly. So I told you, we have to have that balance. The, the, the good and the bad. Wisdom gives us balance. It helps us see things in proper perspective as we deal with the challenges of today and we deal with the experiences that we have in our lives. Look at 11 and 12. It says, wisdom is a good as an inheritance and an advantage to those who see the sun. Because wisdom is protection as silver is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its owner. See, there's different challenges in life that we have that is going to help us see clearly. And one of them is, is money. It's money. Pastor Bruce read Proverbs chapter 3 up front. And it talks about how wisdom is better than silver. This is the, the same line. Because I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but money or any sort of wealth can lose its value. It can be stolen. It can be wasted. 
But wisdom, as long as you don't deliberately act against it, cannot be lost. It gives greater protection than money because of its longevity. And that wisdom also helps us see the truth of money in the things that it is clearly. Verse 13 then says this, Consider the work of God from who can straighten out what he has made crooked. See, wisdom can help us see the sovereignty of God clearly. It helps us see the sovereignty of God clearly. Sovereignty, do you understand the work of God in your life and in this world? I'm going to say I do not. I, I hope to see it. And there are things that I do see, but if I had the big picture, I don't think I would need God. I, I watch him work and I understand that he is the light unto my feet and the lamp unto my path, which is right here my next step. He's not shining the LED 10 miles down the road so I can see everything that's ahead. It goes back to that whole idea of control. Man, I thought I had control. Christy and I sit and we talk and we talk plans. We talk about the things that are going to happen in our lives and then the next day everything changes. And that happens all the time. And he's saying, I am in control. Wisdom is going to show us that God is in control. How many times do we ask the question, why God? How many times? And then when we asked it, either the answer didn't come or you didn't like the one you got. How many times? Remember, do you remember verse 11 of chapter 3 when he said, God has made everything beautiful in his time? Not in my time. In his time. It's his sovereignty. One of the things I told my audience at the ER was this. I said, you know, we've come up with our own definition of God. And our own definition of God is this. It's just a little bit better version of ourselves. It's who we would like to be if we could just do it this way. Because we like to say, well, God, I would have done it this way. I would have done it this way. But the truth is, and I've said it lots of times and I'll say it again, God is God, you are not. I am not. And I thank him for allowing me to see that clearly. Most of the time. Verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that no one can discover anything that will come after him. See, wisdom gives us the ability to see the ups and the downs of life more clearly. Adversity, prosperity. If you want my quick mat translation of this verse, it would be this. God, he gives us wisdom to not be discouraged when things are difficult, and he gives us wisdom to not be arrogant when things are good. Thanks, for the good in my life as I pursue happiness and thanks for the challenges to keep me humble. I have a clear view, again, that I'm not in control. And that is a humbling thought. Verse 15 through 18 continues on that. It says, In my futile life I have seen everything. Someone righteous perishes in spite of his righteousness. And someone wicked lives long in spite of his evil. Don't be excessively righteous and don't be overly wise, which means... Watch your pride. Why should you destroy yourself? 17 says, don't be excessively wicked and don't be foolish, which means watch your stupidity. Why should you die before your time? Is it good you grasp that the one and do not let the other slip from your hand? Have balance. Have wisdom to see. For the one who fears God will end up with both of them. Or as Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Again, there is this question that is out there. 
There's a question about there. Uh, it was a question I, I got in the ER. Why does God allow evil? Why does God allow suffering? What is evil? Was one of the big questions I got. And my simple answer was this. It's anything against God's will. Anything that contradicts the holy nature of God. Of course, if you don't have God as a foundation, it doesn't matter, right? So how do you base that evil? And that was one of the things I asked the guy. He said, he was telling me what was evil. I said, how do you base it? What's good? Who defines what's good? If you don't have that foundation, you don't have those answers. Wisdom helps to see righteousness and helps to see wickedness more clearly. That's that next thing. Righteous and wicked. We've said that wisdom helps us, but this is the question. God, why do the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? Why do bad things happen to good people? And my answer is, you've got to look at the big picture. You've got to look at the big picture. In the scenario of our question, the wicked only prosper for a short time. Their prospering will come to an end. And then the second part is, is that adversity drives growth. Adversity drives growth. Depending upon who we are, it should drive us closer to Him because we realize that He's the only thing that's stable and He's the only one that is in control. Don't believe me? Look back on your life. Look at the biggest times of growth in your life. When did they happen? Is it when you were prospering or when you were struggling? I can guarantee in my own life it's always when I was struggling. Always. That leads to the last positive contribution of wisdom. Wisdom gives us strength to face life. And that's found in 19 through 29. And for time's sake, I will go quickly. Wisdom makes the wise person stronger than 10 rulers of a city. He says, wise person fears the Lord and therefore doesn't fear anyone or anything else. He gives strength to face these challenges in life. So he lists out some challenges here. And these challenges are this. Number one was sin. Our biggest challenge, right? This is certainly no one righteous. There is certainly no one righteous on the earth who does good and never sins. See, we all sin, either by commission, which means we do what we're not supposed to do, or omission, we don't do what we are supposed to do. Wisdom helps us see that, and wisdom helps us understand that we need to stop that. That we need to, in the power of God, in the wisdom of God, understand what it is and the challenge is laid down there for us that it gives us the ability to avoid both. Then verse 21 and 22 is our second challenge and that is gossip. Both in our ears and out our mouth. It says, don't pay attention to everything people say or you may hear your servant cursing you. People are going to say what they're going to say. I believe uh, in today's terminology, it is, hate is going to hate. That, that's just the, the truth of the matter. That, that they're going to hate. So, he says, don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. But then he says this in 22, for in your heart, you know that many times you yourself have cursed others. You too have been a hater. So, don't do that. He's got both sides. Don't listen and don't do that. That's that whole idea of constructive criticism. It's okay to hear that, but don't listen to all the other things that are out there. Then we jump to verse 22 through 25, where challenge number three is, is figuring out what in the world God's doing. That is a challenge for us. But he says, I have tested all this by wisdom. I resolved I will be wise, but it was what? Beyond me. I can't figure it out. Some of the wisest words that we could say is, I don't know. I don't know, and I'm not going to pretend that I do. 
What exists is beyond reach and is very deep. Who can discover it? I turn my thoughts to know, explore, and examine wisdom and an explanation for all these things and to know that wickedness is stupidity and folly is madness. Here's what I've come to the realization. We live in an age that there is information available at the touch of a button. You want to know? What do you do? Google it. I mean, Google got its own verb. I'm Googling this. I'm doing this. And in it, we have to understand that people out there that give the answers on Google, they think they know the answer. And I emphasize the word think. Because truly, God only knows. In our quest since Genesis chapter 3, to be like God. What tree do they eat from? The knowledge of good and evil. We wanted to know. We just want to be like Him. And we struggle with it. But wisdom, godly wisdom, helps us see that challenge in life and clearly shows itself here, which leads to that last challenge that wisdom helps us see and overcome. That's verses 26 through 29, and that is the challenge of humanity. Humanity. And I find more bitter than death the woman who is a trap. Her heart a net and her hands chains. The one who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Which I thought this was very interesting coming from Solomon, who had multiple wives, many of them wives from foreign countries who served foreign gods who drug him into false idol worship. So the fact that he's saying this makes it just a little bit more ouch. Might be talking from a personal standpoint. 27 says, Look, says the teacher, I've discovered this by adding one thing to another and found out the explanation, which my soul continually searches for but does not find. I found one person in a thousand. One person in a thousand that's wives. But none of those was a woman. Now, I want you to pause right here for just a second. I did a lot of research on this particular part of the verse, and there's two reasons why he says that. One, he was talking about the trap of a woman earlier, so he's laying that part out, saying, I searched in this particular manner trying to be pleased by a woman and those things, and it's only a trap. I'm not finding wisdom there. Also, there's a different status and a different freedom of women in those days, so he's writing from that perspective as well. So please, don't slam me for reading that verse, okay? (laughs) Verse 29 goes on to say this. Only see this. I have discovered that God made people upright. In the beginning, Adam was upright. He was created upright. Eve created upright. But they, and they as all of us, pursued many schemes. We want to be like God, so we come with all sorts of twisted thinking to try and fulfill the longing to be like Him. If we don't have godly wisdom to see it clearly, we will fall into that trap ourselves. That's the trap. He says, be wise and avoid it or try to avoid it on your own and fall in. Guys, can I just tell you this? I'm going to point out the obvious. This is Captain Obvious speaking. The world is full of garbage. The world is full of garbage, and if we're not looking clearly, we will fall face first into that pile. We will fall face first. I can say right now, thank God for His wisdom that makes life better. It helps us see life clearly, and it gives us strength in this life as we go through it. Now that wisdom may not help us understand everything that God is doing, but we will have enough wisdom to live for the glory of God and for the good of others.
if you don't know Christ, you don't have access to this wisdom through the Holy Spirit. If you're trying to do it, trying to be wise, trying to get information, I'm telling you, trying to do it on your own, no matter what you do, it will not end well without Christ. But if you do have Christ, if you are in Christ, plug into him and his wisdom. John 15, 5 says, abide in me, because apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. My challenge today, the challenge from Solomon today is plug into that wisdom so we can live this life for the glory of God and the good of others. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today and thank you for what we continue to do in you and in your power. And God, when I stray from that power and stray from that wisdom, thank you for your grace and mercy to forgive me. But God, help me. Help me come back around to you and your wisdom and your understanding to guide me and direct me every day of my life. Because God, I know I'm not in control. I don't like it, but I know it. Help me to live it out and be that example to people. Because there are people out there asking questions at the most inopportune times sometimes. But God, if we are ready with an answer, how much of a difference can we make in the lives of that person and even the people who are listening in? God, I pray for each person in this room. I pray for everybody watching online that, God, you use them for your glory and the good of others as we continue to follow you. We pray it in your name. Amen.